everyone. Welcome to the Writer's Nook, where written words speak. I am your host, Caleb Chandler. And I'm your other host, Josh. This episode, we'll be sharing a few of our own stories with you, and later on, a song from our musical guest, Sam Hebert. Well, no point mucking about. Here's the first story. Crunch by Caleb Chandler. Read by Sean Merrill. Crunch. That was the word scrawled onto the warning sign that hung by the exit of the dome. Hardly professional. Most certainly childish. But apt, I suppose. We'd all been given strict instructions not to set foot outside the dome unless a ship was currently docked at the airlock. Inside the tunnel, the base's computer could set the artificial gravity to a survivable setting. There would be no crunch. We'd been given strict instructions about a great many other things, too. No pets were allowed, no matter how cute the creature we saw outside. We were here to observe safely from within the dome. Alcohol was forbidden, as was violence against the crew. Gilbert hadn't broken that last one, but knowing him, it was probably because he wasn't listening when the higher-ups said it. Gilbert was never one for following company rules. Or safety codes. Or cooking instructions. Or basic hygiene guidelines. Still... I was sad that he was gone. While I certainly wasn't going to miss him for his charming personality, his death was ill-timed and inconvenient. He was the only one who was trained to pilot the escape ship in the event that one of the aforementioned cute creatures attacked the dome. Gilbert had always said they looked like red pandas. Then again, Gilbert wasn't that bright even when he was sober. Red pandas aren't reptiles, and they definitely don't have three eyes. Plus, red pandas eat bamboo. Last I checked, Gilbert wasn't made of bamboo. But that hasn't stopped the little devils from nibbling on his newly compacted corpse when he'd staggered out the door last night. I imagine he stared out wistfully at the twin moons for a moment, felt the blue moss that covers the planet between his toes, and then, well, crunch. His chin found itself level with his feet, the reptiles came, and then there were a few more crunches. No more Gilbert. It's not pretty, but neither is life. They don't pay me to be empathetic. When the next ship comes, the bosses are going to be asking a lot of questions. I've never liked questions. I never liked Gilbert, either. This next story is Friends by Joshua Chandler, read by Sean Merrill and Joshua Chandler. The clouds of Saturn were on the move. From his post, Colonel Jethro Carver could see when none had with probe or telescope. His drone's main camera showed the dark patches exhibiting a most peculiar behavior. A large cloud of therogen gas sat in the center of a group of smaller clouds. The large cloud pulsated with many colors. The pulsating was not unusual for therogen. This was the first time it has displayed a pattern, Jethro thought, and moved in. As he did, one of the surrounding clouds began pulsing with color as well, in a counter pattern. The other clouds all turned white, as they frequently did when moving past frozen gases. There aren't any pockets of ice nearby. The smaller pulsating cloud had turned and now remained a dark shade of green. It also had drawn much nearer to the drone. Now the large cloud began flashing and sparking, lighting up the beige regions around. As it fluctuated between shades of red and black, the smaller clouds began to match it. They're communicating, Jethro gasped. The idea of a sentient gas had been postulated, of course, but here it was, before the retired colonel's eyes. 
His viewing goggles were overwhelmed now by a rapid fire of colors from purple to blue-green. The small cloud must have reached the drone. As ice rapidly covered the view, Jethro lost control of the drone's movement. It wasn't until 20 minutes later that a change occurred. Defrosting, the camera eye received the new surroundings. It was one of the grayer regions, and the small gas cloud was there, an apprehensive shade of pale yellow. None of the other clouds were to be seen. A discharge of energy ended near the drone, causing static. Through the fuzziness, Jethro could see the now red, now black clouds approaching, their evident anger unabated. Shifting color to dark green, the friendly cloud began to stretch itself in front of the drone. It became frosty, starting from its center towards the edges, forming a shield of ice to protect the lifeless drone. A barrage of lightning struck the frozen cloud, shattering and dissipating it. Another strike, and the drone overloaded. Jethro tore the goggles from his head, tears streaming down his face. This last story is Ask Edgar by Caleb Chandler. Read by Caleb Chandler. Martin was nearly to the classroom door. Atkins, where do you think you're going? To study for the next exam, Martin said hesitantly. Not so loud, Miss Walters whispered. The time allotted for this exam is 19 minutes. Are you sure you don't want to check your work for errors? I think I did all right. Miss Walters picked up her slim silver headset from the desk. In a moment, Martin's exam appeared on her screen. Oh dear, I'm glad I looked. Your essay question is in a sad state. Best fix it. Shuffling back to his desk, Martin removed his BCI headset from its mount and positioned it on his forehead. Open last exam, he thought. Glancing over the essay, he could not find any typing errors. His grammar was fine as well. He had resisted the urge to include the Oxford comma. Grandfather would be disappointed, Martin thought. Still, it's not worth being suspended again. Removing the headset, he returned to Miss Walters. I don't see anything wrong with it. I thought the essay question was supposed to be our opinion. It is. I believe you may have typed something by mistake. There are a few portions that don't make much sense. That's impossible. I was very careful, Miss Walters. Not quite so careful, it seems, Adkins. Here, take this template. If you follow it, those confusing parts should clear up nicely. Be sure not to disturb the other students. Once you've finished that, you may go. Plugging the template into the port on his desk, Martin began to read. Please delete your previous submission and upload this template after verifying your identification block in the top left corner. Please read this essay carefully. Martin didn't bother reading the rest. This was the third template he'd received this quarter. Deleting the words from the template, Martin pasted his original essay onto the document. Miss Walters never checked essays with education department signatures. Something flashed in the corner of his eye as Martin made his way from the classroom. Looking out the window, he could see a green door standing in the middle of the schoolyard. Do you want to be fine for daydreaming, Adkins? Miss Walter asked, staring at him. Reaching the force field, Martin punched his student identification number on the keypad and stepped into the hall. Per usual, this day promised to be absolutely rubbish. I finished my exam. Is there any point in me asking to leave? No, Adkins, it is very impertinent of you to ask such a question, Miss Finch stated coldly. Please be seated until your fellow students have completed their maths exam. But Miss Finch, most of them won't. Quiet, Adkins, that's enough of your impertinence. That means rudeness in case you weren't aware. 
Sometimes I forget how young you are. I'm 13. I know what impertinent means. Look, there's no point in me waiting till the time runs out. Sit down, Adkins. Martin's boredom was interrupted by a scream of pain. Rushing to the window, Martin saw that the door he thought he imagined in the courtyard had reappeared. This time, it was open. A man in a white uniform lay writhing on the ground, clutching at his smoking wrist with his left hand. Someone's been shot, Martin said. None of the students stirred. Their eyes remained fixed on their screens. Sit down, Adkins. If you disrupt the exam again, you will be given detention, said Miss Finch. But, and fail the exam. Two more shots came through the green door. The screaming stopped. I think you'll find your chair where you left it, Adkins, Miss Finch said. Aren't you going to call the police? Martin asked frantically. I think detention will be sufficient, though your contrition is admirable. I meant about the murder. Martin's words were suddenly inaudible. The entire class looked up at him. He could feel the rage emanating from Miss Finch. This is a safe environment, Adkins. Such antisocial speech cannot be permitted. You know that. Guard! A man in purple metallic armor stepped in through the now deactivated field emitter. Yes, Miss Finch? replied an eerily cheerful voice from inside the reflective mask. The other children stayed silent. Adkins is suspended until next week. See that he attends the safety seminar on Tuesday. He can have a speech mask reactivated then. Martin glared at Miss Finch as he was escorted out of the room. None of the other students had to wear a censor on their face. If I could talk, Martin thought. Fortunately for him, he was not given the opportunity. Tuesday could not have arrived soon enough. Martin's living quarters did not contain much to keep him occupied. The city guards had got in the habit of searching his quarters for books every other day. A week of isolation made even the safety seminar seem interesting, compared to utter boredom. Martin felt irritation was a nice change of pace. Drawing or stories depicting St. George murdering endangered reptiles are forbidden for the safety of the students. If you are taking a course in creative writing, please see the syllabus for a list of approved. Martin was startled out of his daydream as the video froze. Feedback pierced Martin's ears as the ancient public address system broke the silence. All students are to report to the main lecture hall for testing in ten minutes. The voice was far too young to belong to one of the teachers, but Martin didn't feel like questioning this. Even if something was wrong, it would still be better than suspension. To Martin's surprise, there was a man in a top hat and waistcoat standing at the podium when he reached the lecture hall. Strange clothing aside, Martin didn't have any male teachers. Please sit down, Master Adkins, the man said. You're 30 seconds late. More if you count the time I've had to waste telling you to sit down. My assistant will give you the exam. Here you are. The voice from the public address system belonged to the girl handing Martin a stack of paper. This was not one of Martin's classmates. None of them wore top hats or waistcoats. It was against school policy. What's this? Martin whispered. Your exam. This is paper. You're a clever one, aren't you? With that, the girl took her place in a chair next to the podium. Behind her was the green door. Hello, student, the man at the podium said, beaming. I am your new headmaster. Please look over your exams before beginning. If you have any questions, please raise your hand. If the test is in progress, come up and speak to me. What's a headmaster? asked the boy at the desk next to Martin's. Is that like a headmistress? The man at the podium looked annoyed. 
If anyone has a question which is not stupid, raise your hand. If not, let us begin. The same boy raised his hand. Yes, Master Thompson. How are we supposed to take a paper exam? I suggest you use a pen. What's a pen? A girl on the other side of the room asked. The headmaster shook his head in disgust. Does anyone care to answer that question? After a long silence, Martin raised his hand. Master Adkins, come here. The rest of you are dismissed. You all get passing marks. Nervously, Martin approached the podium. What if this was the murderer? He was hardly in a position to not cooperate. What do you know of interdimensional travel? The girl in the chair asked. I don't believe we've met, Martin said, trying to sound confident and interesting. I'm Alice, but let's not change the subject to answer the question. Into what travel? Probably just as well, said the headmaster, swinging open the door and pressing buttons on what looked like a pocket watch. Martin could no longer see the classroom through the door. Instead, there was only darkness. The headmaster grabbed him before he could run. Martin lost consciousness. As Martin awoke from his chloroformated rest, he found himself in the back of a lorry. He felt air on his lips. Someone had removed the sensor. Sitting across from him, Alice looked mildly amused. To his surprise, he was not bound. Rising shakily from his bench, he stumbled toward the back of the vehicle. The headmaster was nowhere to be found. Martin caught a glimpse of the road before Alice dragged him back from the edge of the lorry. The road lay a mile below. The pang of disappointment over not escaping was replaced with a mix of relief and fear. Where am I? Martin asked. In the lorry, no thanks to yourself, Alice replied. Much as I might like to see what sort of pattern you'd make on the ground, we have need of you. Why did you kidnap me? I didn't. Your friend knocked me unconscious. It was for your own good. We rescued you. Rescued? Yes. From what? Have you seen your world? You don't use chloroform in a rescue. Evidently we do. Did you say my world? Where am I? In a lorry. I told you. Why? Because of Gareth. Did he tell you to kidnap me? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. Who's Gareth? Your rival. We don't have rivals. It's not allowed. And you called what we did a kidnapping. Can't you answer anything in a way that makes sense? Of course. Why am I here? I'm beginning to wonder. Maybe our test is faulty. Test? You mean that stack of paper? No. What are you talking about? You. Maybe you're not smarter than the others after all. I am too, Martin said indignantly. Why are you wearing that top hat? Why are you not wearing a top hat? They're not allowed. Definitely a rescue. Please, just answer my question. Are you going to ask an intelligent question? I have. I'm sorry you feel that way. Why do you need me? Edgar. Who's Edgar? That's hardly relevant at this point. What? Oh, just shut up and go to sleep. We've got a long way to go. Where are we going? You'll see soon enough. Go to sleep. Martin ought to have been much more frightened than he was. Failing that, Martin was a combination of frustrated and infatuated, shortly followed by drowsy and, once again, unconscious. The lorry came to a halt at the gate of a floating city, which was rotating ever so slightly as it bobbed up and down in the air. Rubbing his eyes, Martin read the sign over the archway, Welcome to Nisvar. The gate swung open and the lorry landed gently on the pavement and proceeded on its wheels.
Martin's eyes grew wide as he saw the assortment of houses which lined the road, none of which was designed like its neighbour. For no apparent reason, a large number of them had spires. Please tell me where I am, Martin said quietly, nudging Alice with his shoe. Oi, that's rude, Alice said before sitting up and yawning. Couldn't you read the sign? No. Oh dear, the exam will be difficult for you. I have to take an exam. You rescued me from school to take an exam? Yes, and you'd better ace it, otherwise. Otherwise what? Never mind that. Here, study this. Alice tossed a large tome at Martin which hit him squarely in the chest and forced him back onto the bench. The book was merely entitled, Learning. Please just let me go, Martin said with dismay. Edgar tried to leave. Who's Edgar? I told you, that's hardly relevant now. To his left, Martin saw a large screen filled with numbered portraits. At the top was a larger image of a black-haired boy with the number one next to his face. What's that? Martin asked, pointing. Who's that kid? That's the leaderboard, and that's not a kid, that's Gareth. Who's Gareth? The valedictorian of Nice Far. What do you mean he's not a kid? Wait, you're answering my questions. I got bored. What is he? Horrible. Why? Edgar. Oh. You'd better study. Two hours later, the lorry arrived at its destination. The sign on the door of the small square building read, Phase 1 Testing Center. You'd best go in. They'll be waiting. Who's they? We don't have time for your stupid questions. Walking inside, Martin saw the headmaster from earlier standing behind a desk. I trust Alice filled you in on what we're doing here? The headmaster asked. No, not really. Typical. Why are you wearing a top hat? Here. The headmaster produced another hat from behind the desk and placed it on Martin's head. Welcome to the club. What club? Wish I had time to explain, but you'd best start the test. Realizing that he wasn't likely to get answers anytime soon, Martin sat down and picked up the pen from the only student desk in the room. Once the exam was completed, the headmaster fed the stack of papers into the scanner mounted on the wall. The room went dark. Is that supposed to happen? Martin asked. No. No, it's not, the headmaster said with a slight quiver in his voice. I think you did it. Did what? But that's impossible. What is? A perfect score. He'll be coming for us now. Who? Gareth. Is that bad? Asked Edgar. Alice kept mentioning him. Who is he? No time. We've got to leave. Am I going home? To those imbeciles? No. Why? No one who's chosen goes home. Now come on, we have to leave now. Martin heard laser fire coming from the next building over as they ran down the alley toward the lorry. Poor soul must have got under 94%, the headmaster muttered as he pushed Martin onward. Engines roared overhead as Martin leapt into the back of the lorry. He's here, Alice said into the headset she was now wearing under her hat. In a moment, Martin's ears were ringing as he saw shrapnel hit the ground followed by Gareth. What's going on? Martin asked. The ringing drowned out any answer that might have come. As the lorry sped away, Martin was shocked to see his own face in the number one spot on the leaderboard. Martin fainted. It only took a week. Someone had aced the exam in record time. Martin's picture was obscured by a red X. The citadel doors flung open as Alice ran toward Martin, the city guards close behind. 
Once again, he found himself being tackled and shoved through a door that wasn't there a moment ago. Where are we? Martin asked, picking the rocks out of his elbows as he got to his feet. With the push of a button, Alice made the door disappear. Home, Alice said. Where's that? Safe. Where's the headmaster? Asked Edgar. Martin placed his arm around Alice's shoulder. Alright, I'm here with our musical guest Sam Hebert. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, I'm stoked to be here with you guys. So, I know you mentioned this song was autobiographical. Did it start out as just the words or music or how's your creative process work? Yeah, so what I, what I usually do when I write songs is I actually do both of them together. As I play, I just grab a guitar um, and I start playing a melody that I like and then I start incorporating words with it. Um, I believe in writing lyrics um, and music and they, I, I believe in matching both. So whether you're talking about sadness, you know, using minor chords or if you have a, a big word like power or something like that, I use like climactic chords to, to bring that out. Um, I want my music to back up the words I'm saying. This song actually um, <clears throat> was originally a spoken word. So the way I wrote it as a song was more of a acoustic rap kind of version. So you can still get that kind of soapbox feel get more a poetic feel with it and so that was the inspiration behind this I would say or the process of it so what age were you what point were you at in your life when you wrote this and what kind of went into it if you don't mind my asking yeah absolutely I was a sophomore in high school this is two years ago um, and I actually originally like I said before I this was originally a spoken word um, and I wrote the spoken word to perform at um, at Biola and it's kind of funny because I originally wrote it kind of based off my struggles with dealing with a breakup I was going through but um, I wanted to make it deeper I have a lot of kind of cheesy love songs that I write and I wanted this song to be deeper and, and from my heart um, when my brother told me once and it really hit me hard Sam if you don't write from your from your heart and something that you actually have been through and actually mean then we all know it's fake and, and no one's gonna want to listen to you and so I wanted to write something from my heart and something I actually meant and something I experienced and that way be deeper and reach those certain people that have been through the same experiences and reach them on a more on a deeper level and so I wrote it two years ago and I've kind of refined it through the years and so um, the song I'm playing today is uh, I guess the newest and I'm still I'm still I can still be tweaking it here and there but um, yeah this is what I got so far awesome so what have been some of your musical inspirations over the years and what do you think makes a good song? What goes into it? Can you, uh, for anybody who would want to try it, can you kind of elaborate on that? Absolutely. Boy, my musical inspirations seem to seem to change a lot. I grew up, <laughs> I grew up listening to Audio Adrenaline, actually, um, and I really nice. respected them for being a good Christian rock band who actually uh, did like a worship spin on, on rock, um, but actually made it good and also Switchfoot uh, Switchfoot's lyrics I mean John Foreman his solo stuff is so inspirational to me um, I would say Ed Sheeran if we're gonna go in the secular realm I'd say Ed Sheeran Matt Kearney um, those kind of guys who add a different dynamic to songwriting and to music I believe that if you want to be a good songwriter you need to write both parts of the songs and they need both parts of the songs need to, need to mesh together the lyrics need to mesh with the music they need to both tell the same story I can't tell you how many times I just I turn music off or I listen to a song and I'm just like, man, it's fake because the music isn't backing up those lyrics. Those lyrics are powerful and you're playing really lightly. Like, why are you doing that? You know, you got you to gotta mesh it. You got to 
they got to complement each other and they got to go well together. So I would say that's important. And I would say, man, a lot of people are, are afraid to write and afraid to show their stuff. But what's the point of writing a song if you're not going to show people? It's, you're hiding your gift that God has given you. And especially if you're gifted, you should be expressing your music. That's that's the beauty of music is that it's like a, it's like a language. It speaks to people. You might not think your song is good at all, but you've worked your hardest in it and you've, you've displayed your best. You might think it's dumb, but that song can affect somebody. That song can reach somebody that you have no idea about. And so I would say for someone who's thinking about doing it, do it. It is very fun. It's very good for your creative mind to work um, in that sort of way. And it's a, good, it's a good way to reach people from all different kinds of backgrounds. You mentioned Audio Adrenaline and Switchfoot as two examples of what you consider good Christian bands. Can you go into a little bit what the stigma can be against Christian music and what you think makes for good Christian music? Yeah, I think, uh, I think actually, I'm going to um, mention a couple more of my inspirations here because they have examples of this. Andy Minio and Lecrae and the whole 116 click. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome guys. Um, <clears throat> and great music, my goodness, great lyrics. I would say the stigma against Christian music in general is people just think it's terrible. And I, and I think, and it's kind of comical, but it's true. I mean, I, I, I listen to a Christian radio station and I, I'm like, what's, I, I can't even tell the difference between these songs a lot of the times. And I know that these artists are well-intentioned and um, the lyrics aren't necessarily that bad, but it's just blends together. And my whole inspiration is to be different, to go against that. I can consider myself a Christian, but not necessarily consider myself in the genre of Christian music. Though my songs hit about God and, and you hear my theology in my songs and people, I want people to be clear where I stand. That comes from, and I haven't gotten to this point yet, but if ever there's a day where I'm interviewed and ever there's a day where you know, I'm on, a, on a, a show or whatever, like this podcast, I can, I can express that I love Jesus and I am not afraid to tell you what I believe, that Jesus died for my sins and that I'm saved and that it's through his faith and grace alone that um, I get to spend eternity with him and that gives me joy and that gives me inspiration in my songs. But not all my songs need to be happy and joyful. They can be, because as a Christian, and I'm sure you know this, Caleb, uh, Josh, I mean, it's, we're not always experiencing beauty and like, and just joy all the time. As yeah. believers, we go through, we, we go through a lot as believers, we go through trials, but I mean, we can write songs in those times and end a song there. That's, and I'm here to say that's okay. You can, you can write a depressing song and end it there. And I feel like that's a, like a lot of times what Christian music doesn't do, and they come come across really shallow and unrealistic. Um, but you know, that's that's the beauty of, of an album and writing multiple songs is that you can write songs that reflect on your past songs. Um, this song I'm I, I'm doing today called Convict comes from a point in my life where I felt trapped in sin and I was fake and. And it ends, I mean, it, it ends in the last 10 seconds or whatever of me saying, like, pain brought me to my end, but love is my start. And it's peace like a river flows and runs to the core of my soul and the seed begins to grow, begins to grow, right? It's like this joy is starting to grow in within me and that's, it came to the realization, the song ends on my realization that Christ is, is in me and Christ is working within me and, and then I'm going to be joyful. But the song doesn't necessarily end with me saying, and everything's okay and flowers, <laughs> Right? That's not right. that's not what I'm saying. And I've written songs that are really depressing about death, and and I write songs about secular people who go through death and have no hope. And then, but I'll write a song later and say, "Here's the hope we have in Christ," and that song is a reflection of, of that other song. And that just 
it goes together. And that's that's what I love about um, expressing how you feel because when we go before the Lord, He wants us to be honest with Him. He wants us to be open, you know. And so that's how I feel with my songs too. I want to be honest. I want to be open. I want people to see, hey, I struggle too. I go through hard times. And it's not always butterflies and rainbows. The Christian life is hard. We're persecuted, right? And we can end a song in that. But I'm not going to end my journey there. I'm going to talk another song about how Christ delivered me from that and how I can be joyful in the Lord. Um, so that's, I'd say that's, that's my inspiration. And that's what I want to get across about why I don't necessarily consider myself in the Christian genre um, but I consider myself a Christian. I am a Christian, and I do music. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. And uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, you guys. It was so fun. Um, you guys are really cool, and I'm excited to listen to this podcast. And thank you for all those who listened in. You guys are awesome. So thank you, kid. Yeah, you are Josh. awesome. Please, please subscribe. <laughs> we may have more than four episodes. If you don't subscribe, I'm going to quit music. No, I'm just joking. Never quit. <laughs> Fake bullets, cards, he's bluffing Coming on, don't trust him, cuff him And put him in a cell, surrounded by mirrors Make his lies reflect him Lock the door, swallow the key Shackle his feet, ignore his plea Shoot him if he flees, aim for his feet His faith is weak, wanna make him see So he believes He's not in control No power to hold on a life sense With no parole, but most of all Yeah, most of all, wanna make him see He's not invincible was iron in his blood Tony Stark Taylor Swift with his lyrics Broken heart, not indestructible He wears a suit And he ain't in love but he lusts Cause he has to uh. He's gotta fill the void, cover up He's a Christian boy, yeah And happiness replaces joy with a plastic smile Like a Ken dog toy And he wears it well When he goes to church But the smile fades When the message hurts stops and he thinks of her he falls asleep awakening when his heart burns he's lost cold and alone in this prison cell his home with a heart made of stone conviction melts like the snow and it's cold Forgiveness, but he hates it, and they actively live out their love. He displays it, what's in his mind is in his house. Watch every single moment pass him by. There's an audience, he's stopping loud with a comedy called his life. He's got a board to play, lights to say. Every single day he was a masquerade, he a spotlight beam right upon his face. Name the lights up on the stage, huge guys rushing in to fill the space. Chubbing each other to get a sign name, and his eyes has got all this fame. He's afraid it'll fade away.
back once, set him free. Words are just words until the action speaks. So he writes black ink from his once black heart. Pain brought him to his end, but love will be his star. And love will be my star. through the core of my soul and the seed begins to grow and blooms for you like a rose Protected under a Creative Commons license. Be a friend and don't pretend you wrote our stuff.